a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Thorough Talk. And, uh, you know, I always hope it's not complaining, but I always talk about how much I miss sports, in particular basketball, and uh, especially during this time. And I hope everybody's taking care of themselves out there. But um, what I try to do is I, I try to find someone who can kind of get me excited again to get them on the show and talk about their lives and talk about sports. And I think I, I know I hit the jackpot. I hit the jackpot today because we've got uh, Dick Vital on the show today. And let me, first of all, let me tell you that this man is a Hall of Famer through and through. Not only the Naismith Hall of Fame, but the College Basketball Hall of Fame. He's coached at every level. And I'm going to find out because I think he, I think even junior high school level. So, Dickie V, how are you? I'm doing really well, Thurl. Great hearing you. You know, it's amazing today. I was just on a Bob Valvano show today, and I didn't realize it. It was 27 years ago today, today, that Jimmy V passed away to cancer, your that's former right. coach. That's 27 right. years. I, I can't believe where the time has flown. I mean, that's two, going on almost three decades. I know. I know. It's crazy. Now, how's Bob doing? He's doing well. You know, he's got a nice radio gig, and he's does games for uh, ESPN and does games, by the way, for certainly Louisville. So he's doing really well. So I enjoyed being on with him, and now you. So it's a double Jimmy V day today for me, <laughs> Bob and you. Thanks, Dickie. So uh, we're going to get more into uh, what you're doing right now as well as uh, talk about Coach Valvano in a minute. But um, I, I, wanna, I want you to take us back. I love to jump in that time machine and, and find out uh, how a young boy from East Rutherford New Jersey, wanted to become a coach. What was life like for you back then? Well, you know, first of all, when I started, I graduated Seton Hall University, and I graduated Seton Hall, and I majored in business. So I got a job in the accounting office of a, a company in Patterson, New Jersey, and I looked around the room, Thurl. I looked around the room, and I'm seeing these guys looking at the clock all the time from 8 to 5, basically, doing trial balances and all this. And I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, I don't want to do this all my life. And I was coaching a baseball team, you know, just having a lot of fun, coaching a bunch of really I recruited outstanding high school players to play together. We had a super team. We won the state championship in Jersey, and we also went to a national tournament. And one of the fans that used to come to our games was a big executive in the world of, of the school system in Garfield, New Jersey. And he came up to me and he said, hey, boy, I love your energy and your enthusiasm with the kids. Why don't you think about teaching and coaching? And I said, well, really, I don't have any degree in that. I got my degree in business. That doesn't matter. He said, I could hire you right now. He said, give me a job in the junior high level. You, you teach there, and you coach our junior high basketball, football, baseball, all of them. Well, I did that. 
I did. I accepted it. I went from 6500 a year to about 4500 a year, something like that. It was some crazy numbers then. <laughs> this is back in 19... Let me see. I graduated college 62, so it would have been the end of 62 summer. I'm a long, long time ago. And I didn't care about money. I cared, you know, at the time, I wanted to coach, man. And, and Oh, man, I... I mean, Thurl, I told people this the other day in an interview. I knew nothing about football. I, I couldn't tell you split tees, wing tees... Nothing. When I met my team the first meeting, I told them, look, I don't know all this technical stuff about football. I know one thing. If they get six, we better get seven. I was 18 and 0 in two years, my friend. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, and, and that was the beginning, but, man, you had an opportunity to coach pretty much at every level. Uh, so talk to me about the opportunity you got uh, – in the big leagues, in the NBA. Well, you know, an opportunity came along the way in a matter of seven years. It's amazing. I'm teaching the sixth grade, coaching the high school varsity team. We won the state championships two years in a row in Jersey, and it gets me an opportunity. Howard Garfinkel, five-star fame. Did you know Howard? Oh, yeah. Went to his camps. Oh, you went to – well, Howard took a liking to me. He had come and see me in high school, and he heard me speak, and he said, you belong in college. I start laughing. I said, well, it's nice of you to say that, but I've written letters all over. i got more rejections than the dean of Harvard gives out, man. I said, Howard, I have no chance. I don't know anybody. I was not a great player. I didn't work for any big famous name coach. He said, let me handle it. And he helped open the door for me and got me a job at Rutgers University. I went to Rutgers as an assistant coach, and we had a tremendous recruiting class I went out, we got guys like Phil Sellers and Mike Dabney, and they, that team, ultimately, after I had left, I went to Detroit as the head coach. They went on to the Final Four in 1976, and they were 32-0, and the Final Four was UCLA, wow. was Indiana, and was Michigan, and was Rutgers. And a lot of people don't realize that. So that opened the door for me, and I got offered a job to coach the University of Detroit, went there, and we had some real great success for them. I mean, they had never been in the NCAA tournament ever. And we won 21 in a row my last year as a coach there. And we beat Marquette, who was the national champs that year. Uh, after we beat them in February, they won the national title. We beat them in Milwaukee as well. And when you're our 21st in a row, and I had like three, four guys go on to play in the NBA. Terry Tyler, John Long, a young guy named Terry Durod. And we had sitting out that year, Earl Curitan also played wow. the NBA. But we were good. We were really good. And we got beat in the Sweet 16. We got beat by the number one team in the country, Michigan. We got beat in the last minute of the game. And all of a sudden, uh, maybe a year or so later, I get a call and I get a visit from the Detroit Pistons owner. And I'm like shocked. Because think about wow. this, man. Not many guys. My buddy used to label me a boy of ball of dream back in Jersey because I'd always be my dreams and my ball when I was coaching in high school. And there I am sitting one day, and always across from me is the owner of the Pistons. And he's telling me he wants me to be their coach. Oh, my God. I was blown away. Took it. Probably made the biggest mistake of my life, Thurl, because I belonged in college. And Jimmy V used to always say, don't mess with happy. And I messed with Happy. I was, like, thrilled beyond belief coaching in college. And the NBA was, you know, the one thing about the NBA, and you know you played in it, you, unless you're with a franchise, they got players. I'll give you a perfect example. 
I think you'll buy this. I mean, don't you agree that, first of all, the league is about the players? That's right. And the coaches, I hate to say this, but they're really secondary in the formula. It's about players. Without players, you're not winning. But you're not out coaching people. Do you agree? I agree. I totally agree with you. And it hasn't changed. Well, there's no, no further example. No further example. Steve Kerr is a very good coach. Steve Kerr knows basketball. He probably knows more basketball now than he did a couple of years ago. That's right. But when he had Durant and he had Mr. Curry, Mr. Thompson, they winning like crazy, dominating people. He's the same human being, probably even better now, and they're not winning. Why are they not winning? There's no Curry. There's no, there's no Durant. There's no Thompson. So the game is about a and, – and that's the part that frustrated me because I got a job where it was very difficult. They were changing coaches regularly, and I had no patience, mm-hmm. none, zero. That was probably my biggest downfall. And I remember always complaining to the owner, saying to him, hey, I can coach the blue in the face. We're not going to beat Dr. J and Moses. I can coach the blue in the face. We're not beating Kareem and the Lakers. <laughs> I need players, man. And, I, and he said, be patient. Well, I wasn't patient. And finally my wife told me, you're going to get fired. And sure enough, my second year, I got fired after 10 or 12 games. I was down as can be. And you know what I learned? I learned so much thorough during that piece of time, problem, during that uh, area, during that period of time. I learned about how a lot of people, you think of your friends and associates, they disappear. Right. They disappear from you. You can't do any more favors like you were when you were the head coach of a, of a pro team. So it was a great learning experience. And unfortunately for me, that here comes ESPN, and I'd like to say the rest is history. No, that, man, that's a great story. As a matter of fact, I think you coached my teammate for the Jazz, Ricky Green, when you were in Detroit. Is that right? Was Ricky with yeah, you? Yeah, Ricky came there. Ricky was super quick, great speed, shot suspect. But Ricky was on a great Michigan team that beat us when they were number one in the country. They had Green, Phil Hubbard. Yep. Uh, they had a heck of a Tony Staten. And they beat us in the last minute. We had them, man. We were at, we were. We would have won that game, I swear to you. I know people won't believe this. My kids could have won the national championship. That's how good we were. And let me tell you, my phone, I mean, are you kidding me? Michigan's phone budget was way bigger <laughs> than my whole budget total at the University of Detroit. But I had some great kids from Detroit area, and they really, uh, I don't know, did you know John Long and Terry Tyler? Yes, sir. Yes, I did. Yeah, great guys. And they could play. Yes, they could. And, you know, Speaking of the NBA, what are your feelings? I mean, I always get asked about old school basketball, new school. Obviously, the game has changed, kind of like technology, right? You got to adjust to it. But um, do you have a preference? Do you like the the the, what, the way the game has progressed, where the offense really uh, kind of has the advantage? I mean, we used to be able to get away with a lot of things defensively, but how have you seen this game as it's evolved to the to today, Dick? Fuck. I'll tell you one thing. I mean, years ago, you watched the Bad Boys, the Pistons, the Sunday, that last dance, beating up on Jordan and his guys. I mean, that's not existing today. I mean, there's no way. And, and in a way, I think that's good for the game. The game isn't supposed to be a, a, a bloodbath and beating guys. You want to see some finesse. You want to see some play. You want to see guys go up and down the floor. 
uh, sort of taking away the hand check and things of that nature. What I don't like, Thurl, what I don't like in the modern-day game is all the threes that are being fired up. Really? The passing, cutting, the screening, you don't see that like you did in the, in the earlier years. You see just guys coming down, running to the three-point line. I mean, teams are taking like 40, sometimes 35, 40, 45 threes a game. Yeah. I mean, and I find that mind-boggling. Now, I know statistically, if the analytics tells them, oh, you're better off shooting the threes, et cetera. But it just is taken away, to me, what I like about basketball, cutting, screening, and guys sharing the ball, getting ball movement, player movement. And that's the part that, you know, to me has become disturbing, to be honest with you. Do you think that uh, the big man as we know it is becoming a dinosaur? Well, we, we don't see the real true low post guys like we did you know, years ago, I coached Bob Lanier. He was a great low-post player, Hall of Famer. Unfortunately for me, when I had Bob, he was always, you know, knee problems and injured. But and I was only here such a short period of time. But, you know, Bob certainly was an example of one guy to play that post Kareem. I mean, you don't, you, know, you don't find those guys, guys, Shaq, et cetera. You just, the young kids, I think, by the time they start playing now, they want to all be like Kevin Durant, man. They don't want to be that versatile guy that can step away, shoot the three, handle the ball, so they don't work on just posting up on the inside. It seems to be a lost art in the game. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Dick. And um, you've had a great, great career. Uh, right now, you're, you're with ESPN, and you've had a great, great career on the college level in broadcasting. Uh, one of the best out there in the business. You've seen a lot. Uh, you've seen it all at the college level. You've called it all. Um, what have you seen in the college game? Now, I know you, you've you been pretty candid about your feelings. I, I, I know that uh, the uh, the committee at NCAA gets to vote on one-time transfer coming up in May, possibly, and, and you've been candid about that. Um, why do you think that is not good for the game? Well, I can tell you very simply why it's not good for the game. Total chaos, Thurl. If they think there's wheeling and dealing going on, you put that rule into effect. Right now, I'm just going to give you the numbers. Uh, last year, there was 1,000 and about 50 people that applied for transfer portal. 1,050. Okay? This year, there's more than that already. Yeah. If you put that rule in where you got the one time that you can certainly transfer any time you want, go where you want, and be eligible immediately, that's going to double to over 2,000. Right. So then we hear the argument, and it's a legitimate argument, because I love kids having freedom. Like I love the fact now, it's going to jump with joy today. I'm waiting for the results. But the NCAA is supposed to approve the fact that kids can get money off their likeness, name, and image. And I've been screaming about that for, for a long time. And it's about time that has come, just like it came in the world of the Olympics years ago. It was all amateur, amateur. Nobody got paid. And finally, reality set in. You've got to pay these guys. And, you, you know, the, the, when you take a look at the Olympics, they're as good as ever, as exciting as ever now with players being paid. So the bottom line is, I think that's positive. However, Saying all that, I, I firmly, the argument you get all the time, Thurl, is this. Throw it in my face on Twitter and all over. And, you know, but they don't think about the ramifications or the numbers. People say what right, right away. Well, if a coach can leave, coach yeah. can leave and he's eligible to coach immediately, why shouldn't a player? Yep. Well, there's a difference there. There's a major difference. You're talking 50, 55 coaches per year, so it's not apples to apples to over 1,000. It'll be over 2,000. 
thousand when you open it to and now the other problem is if you're a mid major coach, you're a guy like me, like I was at Detroit and I got a great kid in Terry Tyler and John Long and they're having two great years and all of a sudden what's gonna happen? You better believe somehow, some way, Michigan or Michigan State or somebody's gonna get the word out to them, hey, if you wanna make that move, you're eligible right away. We'd love to have you. So they're gonna be rating Rating's going to go on for the mid-major. And then the other factor, and that's why the coaches are upset. I talked to Calipari. I talked to Krzyzewski. I talked to Bill Self. I talked to all these guys, Tom Izzo. They know it's going to create unbelievable chaos. Because the other factor is, Thurl, if you play at an elite school, power conference, like you played, let's say, oh, when you played at NC State, you happen to be a starter and a key guy. But let's say you're a sixth to 10th man on that team. Right. You better believe word's going to get out to you from other schools. Hey, you can come over here. You'd be a star, man. Get out of there. Sit in the pine. Why sit in the bench? And it's just going to—it's just not healthy for the game. It's going to create. I say this though. Now to solve the problem is my proposal, but people don't listen. They just jump to conclusions. To solve the problem very easily about a coach leaving, when that coach leaves, those kids on that team should be given immediate immediate eligibility wherever they go, and they can play right away so special, and be eligible. Special so they can solve the argument about, oh, well, coaches can leave, yeah. but players can't. So you solve that argument. No, I like that. And obviously, you fired up, man. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it, Dickie. And also, there, obviously, there's always those uh, special circumstances with, you know, uh, mental health and the kid maybe going through some problems that one wants to be located closer to his family. I think that's, that's a given. Um, but what's your thought on, I mean, you, you see there's been a couple of uh, high-profile high school players who have elected to go right from high school to potentially the G League. Um, what do you see happening there in the, the future of that? going straight from... Well, if that's what they want to do, Thrill, I have no problem with it. I've, I've often said I really wish that they let kids, if a kid wants to go straight from uh, high school to the NBA, let him go. They let him go. I mean, why hold back a kid? If that's what he wants to do in his life, right. not everybody wants to go to school. If that's what he wants to do, he wants to major in it. I heard an interview uh, uh, that Kobe Bryant did uh, a long time ago, and he talked about that. He talked about the fact that, look, my study and my... Uh, my major is going to be basketball. I want basketball to be my major. I work relentlessly around the clock to be the best I can. I can respect these that a kid wants a major to be a doctor, and that's he goes to college. Mine is to play against the best players and to learn as much as I can. And I agree with that. Yeah. I agree. As far as the, if people believe that the G League is going to really, really hurt, College basketball, forget about it. It's not. What are you going to talk? Seven, eight, nine, ten kids and let them go. If that's what they want to do, so be it. Now, I'll say this. If I'm a kid, if I'm a kid, do I want to take the short term, the quick few dollars, okay? Agent gets his money. This one, you buy a car before it's all gone. Especially now, because if they can get money on their likeness and their name, my God. Well, now you got a situation that says, look. You're going to get the money here with us, and now you're going to play in front of packed houses and on TV, and guys like Dickie V are going to be talking about you. You're going to have great marketability. What are you going to do now playing at the G League? You know how many people are going to be in the stands? What, 15? 
15 to 20? I mean, so you're marketing your name. But I can understand if that's what a kid wants to do, he doesn't want to go to class, doesn't want school, let him go. Have no problem with it. Well, we are going to take a quick break and come right back and finish talking with Dick Vitale. Dickie V, we'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to Thorough Talk. We've got the great Dick Vitale breaking it down for us here today. And uh, Dick, you and I have uh, we have something in common. Or maybe I should say someone in common. My first year at NC State, I was recruited by the great Norm Sloan, Storm and Norman. And uh, you know, we talk about coaches making decisions. Uh, he decided to leave after my freshman year and, and head to Florida. Uh, talk about distraught, man. I was distraught. All the other guys, talking about Witt and Sid, we didn't know what to do. I was actually going to go home, and I called my mom. I said, Mom, I'm coming home. Coach Sloan just left. She said, Son, you might be going somewhere, but you ain't coming here. She told me to to hang around and wait to see who they were going to hire and give them a chance, and we did that. In walks a six-foot Italian guy we didn't know anything about. And he introduces himself as Jim Valvano. And as you said, the rest is history. You had a relationship with Jimmy V. Talk to us about what you remember about this man. Well, you know, obviously his unbelievable communication ability. He just communicated like you cannot believe with people. He can make you laugh. He can make you cry. He can move you to thought. Those three things that he utilized in his speech that will go down in history as one of the great speeches of all time. Uh, Jimmy was a different kind of guy, man. He was a guy that he knew how to get people to inspire them, motivate them, and make it fun. And make it, I've often said, I talked to Bob today when I was on his show, his brother, I said, your brother could have been Seinfeld before Seinfeld. It's one of the funniest guys I ever knew and ever met. And it's hard for me to believe he's gone 27 years. You know, everybody thought I was very close to Jimmy. And I was not until he came to ESPN. Right. And then we really got close in his battle with cancer. And, you know, watching what he went through suddenly inspired me and gave me you know, so much inspiration in terms of seeing what this man was going through and how he courageously battled and battled and battled 
and then ultimately lost the battle and just sat in a way. But you know what, Thurl, his legacy is not going to be cutting those nets down with you guys and winning a national title. That's right. His legacy is going to be. Now, that certainly opened the door for what has transpired, but his legacy will be the fact that over $250 million, that's a quarter of a billion dollars, has been raised for cancer research for every form of cancer in his name. So he's affected lives years after years after years, and long when I'm gone, you're gone, still be affected lives. And, and that, to me, is a legacy that's special. Uh, right now, my goal is to raise as much for kids battling cancer. So any of your listeners, if they want to help me, my goal this year is $5 million. And we've raised so far $29.5 million, but it's not enough. So if anybody wants to join my team, they can join my team. They have to come out to my gala. Gala will be September 4th this year. Uh, we moved it to that date. We're doing Mark Few. We're doing the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, Bruce Arians, and Stephen A. Smith uh, from ESPN. And it'll be a great, great night if this thing clears up that we can have it. But if not, I'm still going to raise money, and people can help me by just going to dipfitale.com. DickVitale.com, and they can make a donation, and every dollar that you donate will go for kids battling cancer through the V Foundation. I love it, Dick. I love it, and I appreciate it so much, what you've been doing over the years. Uh, you're, you're definitely a guy who has really kind of set the bar and set the tone for going out and, and, and doing what you believe in. And in September, I don't know what the NBA – Schedule is going to look like uh, we may be broadcasting or something, but uh, I would love to love to come out and join you in September. We would love to. You came one year. I remember you were here one year. Yep. You had a great time. Would love. You definitely got an open invitation, my friend. Come with a friend. Come with whoever you want and be my guest. Would love to have you. The beautiful Ritz Carlton in Sarasota. You know, people can find more about what I do as well. As I know you do. Follow me on Twitter slash Dickie V because I'm not afraid to share some opinions on there. So if you follow me on Twitter slash Dickie V, I think you'll 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 like it. Uh, between all my social media, I don't think there's many 80 year old guys that got like a million <laughs> followers when you, you total my you know my Periscope, my Instagram, my Facebook, and, and certainly my Twitter is only like about 900,000 followers. So. Again, I love communicating with people. keeps me young, Thurl. I'll tell you one thing. I don't feel 80, man. I play tennis. I keep in shape. I work out every darn day. And I will tell people right now through these tough times, work out, man. Walk. Even if it means walking. I walk a minimum of an hour a day, every day. I play tennis when I was able to play tennis until this thing happened with the coronavirus. But the bottom line is you can, it helps build your immune system. Yes. You want to do that. I don't feel I feel like 21 years old, man. I really do. Until I look in the mirror, Thrill, and then reality <laughs> sets in. Oh man! Well, Dickie V, you—I'm going to tell you something. You've always been—you've always had this infectious uh, spirit about you. And every time I get a chance to listen to you or talk to you, uh, it just seeps right over into me. And I know it does everybody else. So I just appreciate you and, and what you've done. Not just to the, the in the arena of basketball, but throughout the course of your life, you've been a great friend, um, and I just appreciate you. You come on. I cannot wait for uh, things to get somewhere back to normal, so I can get you back on my TV. 
Oh, no problem at all, Thurl. You know, I, I've always admired you guys when you played Sydney, and certainly, had, I mean, guy Derek is a Derek is something else. Love Derek is <laughs> on the board with me with the V Foundation. Derek Wittenberg, in case people don't know, who I'm speaking about. And though you guys were special, and your coach got you to believe, man, and you took it over. If anybody's listening, don't ever believe in camp. Don't make camp part of your life. I do a motivational tip every day in the morning on Twitter, and it's become real popular. So many teachers and people tell me, man, we love we love the tips you do. I mean, today I did one all about constructive criticism. Don't get insulted when people criticize you. So many guys get down about it. Use it as a positive. Learn from it. Learn from it. Move on. And in life, we're right now faced with tough, tough times. Yeah. This coronavirus has paralyzed our nation. But you know what? If we all unite together, everyone, and we unite as a group, and we listen to the experts, and we do what they say, and we have our social distancing, and we wash our hands, and we do all the little, wear gloves, wear a mask if you're going in the store, doing all those things, we're going to beat this. We're going to beat it. But the USA is very strong, and we will find a way to beat it. I feel so bad for over 56,000 people that have lost their lives. Because it's not only them, Thoreau, it's really like 200,000 have died. Yes. Does anybody factor in ever about the children, about Pierre, about the spouses, and the people when their loved one dies? It's not just that person dies. That's right. It's three, four people in a family every time that person dies normally. And, it, and it's just sad in a way, but we'll get through it. you got to think positive. you got to have faith. And you got to believe, and that's part of it. I try to always look at the glass half filled, not half empty. Well, Dick Vital, that's what this podcast is all about. It's about inspiring people. Um, it's about the messages that they can learn from a life like yours, well-lived, and as you continue to live it. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope I get to see you in September. Um, yeah, I really do, Thurl. I hope you can join, get Derek down here. You guys have a great, great time. Hey, my guy Donovan Mitchell's pretty good, isn't he? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, and we've wow. we've been great able to watch kid, him dude. grow. Great kid. Yeah, he is, and he's become a pretty good leader for this Jazz team. Well, they got some good players, man. They got a really good, strong, strong team. Unfortunately, Lee is pretty strong too. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's getting stronger. But, Dick, thank you so much again, right. man. Appreciate you joining Thorough Talk. And everybody out there, I hope you uh, you guys are taking care of each other. Stay safe. Thanks again to Dickie V, Dick Vital, for joining us today. We'll talk to you next week on Thorough Talk. <laughs>